Hi, this is JT, and welcome to another episode of The Critical Thought. In this episode, we will be looking at various aspects of the judicial process, specifically reinstatement. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses are very proud to speak in terms of how unified they are all around the world. A witness will tell you all of our meetings are the same all around the world. Our conventions, they start at the same time. The program, the same program. And so the Jehovah's Witness will will literally brag about we are just unified all around the world. But you know, it's really interesting that out of all the different processes, kingdom halls, building, two-day projects, out of all the processes that takes place in the Jehovah's Witness religion, it is absolutely amazing that the one that impacts people's lives the most, that causes more hurt, more pain, more suffering, more emotional distress than any other process is the most inconsistent process they have. And it's called the judicial process. Today, we're going to look at the aspect known as reinstatement. You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. We're going to examine two specific aspects of reinstatement. One, how long it takes a person to get reinstated. And two, how a person or an individual is treated after they're reinstated. One of the questions that we often see pop up in our mailbox offline, even sometimes in the comment sections, is a person who is disfellowshipped who's asking the question, how much longer will it be before I get reinstated? And this is a very good question. And it goes to the very heart and soul of just how inconsistent this entire judicial process is, and especially when it comes to reinstatement. Let me just share with you a personal experience. In my congregation, there was an individual who was disfellowship, and he had applied for reinstatement. Well, once I became an elder, I handled the correspondence between our congregation and his original congregation where he was disfellowship. The process has generally been wherever you're disfellowship, those are the elders who have to do the reinstatement. And this went on for almost five years, trying to get this man back reinstated. Eventually, the circuit overseer came in, a new circuit overseer came in. He said, well, what's going on? What's taking up so long? So the circuit overseer got involved, and we finally found out why it was taking this man so long to get reinstated. You see, every time we sent the letter to his former congregation, the elder who was a chairman on his judicial case, his wife was actually best friends of the ex-wife of the man who was trying to get reinstated. So the elder would go literally to the ex-wife and ask, is it time to let him back in yet? And each time he asked her that question, she said no. And we got a letter back denying his reinstatement. And so here we have a person's life literally being held in the balance over games that people are playing. And see, this is what happens when it comes to many reinstatements. You will have a reinstatement that will take place very quickly. In fact, for some period of time, people were being reinstated within six months. Major crime, major sins didn't matter. Why? 
The reason why is because the three individuals who serve on your judicial case, they literally hold the balance of your life in their hands. Another example, there was a person who was disfellowshipped, trying to get reinstated, had been trying for a long time. He had his daughter's wedding coming up. And do you know what happened? That's right, you guessed it. The body of elders on that committee, they decided to hold up until after the wedding. And as a result, he wasn't able to walk his daughter down the aisle. And so it was just really a personal vendetta that they wanted to make sure he did not walk down the aisle with his daughter. You see, this is what we're talking about. This is the reason why it takes people so long to get reinstated. Because these are individuals' grievances that can be held against you as a person. And you would never know this was being discussed. In some cases, a brother may miss a couple of meetings. Elder says, well, he's missing meetings. Well, how many did he miss? Well, he missed one last month. It will be held against him. There's literally no consistency in how your case will be handled. Those three elders sitting in that back room, they're the individuals who will make the final call. And as we have seen all the people we've talked to over the years, that call is way off. These are the types of issues that take place in that back room that the average person will never know anything about. And so what we're seeing is an important aspect of this religion is one of their most inconsistent. There is no rhyme or reason for many of the decisions that are made when it comes to reinstatement other than a personal viewpoint. And yet it impacts people's lives. And so over the years, the type of legalistic decisions that have been made have just impacted people's lives. The accounts that we've heard of individuals who perhaps were trying to be reinstated. And because of trying to be reinstated, one of the requirements is you must attend the meetings. You have an individual who find themselves having to work on one of the meeting nights. He go to the brothers, he talk to them, and you know what they'll tell him? You need to consider another job, brother. So here you have this type of legalistic aspect of how they deal with people. Now think about that. A person misses his meetings, can't make it. They say, well, you need to get another job. He quits his job. None of the brothers who may have a job can even hire him. So we see this constant legalistic, pharisaic type of approach that takes place and impacts people's lives. And think about it. If a person misses a meeting or two, does that really mean that this person is not repentant for what he may have done? Does it mean he doesn't love God? Well, see, that's the problem. These elders, they get to hold that against that person. Once again, an inconsistent process that impacts people's lives tremendously. Yet while in another congregation, the same three committee members would say, we understand, we understand, because I have to miss meetings some nights myself. I understand. Once again, the inconsistency, the inconsistency of how decisions are made, which impact whether or not you will come back sooner or whether you will come back later. And of course, there's always that aspect of a power struggle. Interesting, most Jehovah's Witnesses, elders, many times on their jobs, they're not very powerful men on their job. They don't have executive positions, but when they come to the kingdom hall, they're in charge. And so many times you will have people who've been in this fellowship who may have a certain amount of wealth 
a certain amount of prestige because of what they do. Well, now the elders many times have been known to take this out on people. What we're talking about is something that clearly is not being done by the Bible. These are personalities things. And all of a sudden, the same organization that prides itself on unity, we're unified. And yet here we are involved in a process that impacts people's lives, that hurts people. And this process is nothing but inconsistencies. You know, I always describe the process of reinstatement as crawling on your knees on broken glass to get back in. Now we're going to talk about issue number two. What is it like once you get reinstated into the organization? Well, once again, we've had so many letters and conversations with people. And there's a common theme or common denominator that we have seen just pops up all the time. And that is people often describe after they have been reinstated back into the congregation, they are literally treated like a felon. That's right. You see, all around the world, people often go to prison, they serve time, and when they come out, a person may be labeled as a felon. And with that scarlet letter, as it were, it impacts their life. They're constantly reminded of it. Everywhere they go, forms they fill out, jobs and apartments and whatever it is many times that involves business, there's a question down on that little piece of paper that says, have you ever been a felon? And it's really sad to think that a person would be coming to be part of a religion and he's feeling like a felon. And the reason why is very simple, because unfortunately, that's often how a person is treated. There are many people who've had family members who were reinstated. And once they were reinstated, they thought that all of a sudden they were going to see all of this support, all of this love. You see, one of the things that the Watchtower does is they use the example of the prodigal son all the time. They use it all the time. How the son came back home. But they don't do a lot of talking and discussion about what the father did. And that is how the father literally went out of his way to welcome back his son. Rarely do you see articles discussing the actions of the father and how this is what we as a congregation need to do since this person is welcomed back. In fact, for many, many years, if a person was reinstated, you could not even clap. You could not show any joy that the father showed for his son. Only recently that the watchtower said, it's okay to clap now. And which is kind of ironic. Someone, a grown man or woman, has to be told what he or she can do when someone has come back to God. This is the type of organization that we were a part of. And so when you look at this process, this is why people often say they feel like they were a felon. And so on forms that the society has, they will still bring up a person's past. For example, if you want to go to Bethel, the question is asked about reinstatement in this fellowshipping. For example, a person who wants to be a regular pioneer, same types of question. Interestingly, is the one for the special cart witnessing. They actually ask that question. On the application for special metropolitan public witnessing program, question number eight, have you been reproved by a judicial committee within the last three years? If so, when? And question number nine, have you been reinstated by a judicial committee 
within the last five years? If so, when? Now, I want you to think about this. Think about this now. Here we see a person has to bring up his past so that he can man the card. Now, this same person can go out every day of the week, knock on doors, talk to people, preach the word of God, but he can't man the card. You would think that he was going to get a security clearance. To do what? To do this. There will be a body of elders who will look at his application and they will say, we don't think enough time has passed. He doesn't qualify to man the cart. Yes, he doesn't qualify to stand there and man the cart and talk to no one. So now take note of just a few examples of how people share their experiences of what they felt like after they got reinstated. One person that emailed us stated, I feel like an outsider even almost four years after being reinstated, and as such, my mental health has deteriorated. The Kingdom Hall is one of the worst places for me to be, surrounded by people who know that I sinned and probably assume what I did to get shunned in the first place, and also acting like I'm some kind of wayward, lost soul. Another person that had been out for many years had this to say. After being reinstated 10 years ago, I was constantly referred to as the spiritually weak one and treated differently. And finally, another person had this to say. When I got back, I still felt shunned and was made to feel like a leper. So why do people feel like a felon? Well, it's very important to understand some of the underpinnings, some of the foundational things that involves the Watchtower's judicial process. It's important to always take a step back and look back at a little historical context. It helps us to understand how this process has developed over the years. By looking at words, as they say, words have meaning. And it's an interesting word that the Watchtower started using when they first introduced this judicial process in the late 50s going into the 60s. It literally laid the foundation as to the mindset, the thinking, the focus that this process would have when it deals with people. Let's take a look. The July 1st, 1963 Watchtower, page 410. Article, What Disfellowshipping Means. The terms of the discipline would be made clear and the one under such surveillance would report to the overseer once each month. The February 15th, 1967 Watchtower, page 127. Article, Avoid the Snare of Saving Face. There may be occasions due to the seriousness of the sin when the congregation committee finds it necessary to place a person on a probation of surveillance as a helpful corrective measure. The May 15th, 1968 Watchtower, page 320, questions from readers. Now, if a dedicated Christian allowed herself to get into a situation that led to adultery, she has given proof that she needs help and surveillance. You see, words have meaning. Just the word reinstatement. Does it sound Christ-like? 
Or does it sound more corporate? Does it sound more stern? Does it sound harsh? Well, keep in mind that the Watchtower uses the phrase surveillance in those quotes. Going back into the 50s, everybody in the United States and literally around the world were familiar with what was known as the Cold War. The Watchtower talked about the surveillance of the Soviet Union. In many other articles, the Watchtower spoke about how God has Satan the devil under surveillance. And now we see what? The Christian congregation saying we now have our Christians under surveillance. Now, when you hear the word surveillance, there is nothing positive about that word. In fact, this organization over the years, today, many of the practices they can't do. Why? Because they would be considered stalking. When I was at Bethel, there was things that was known as raids. You know what a raid is? When I was at Bethel, there were young people who would have social functions and they would be raided. They would be raided by the circuit overseer and two or three elders. And they would break in and line people up, taking names. What congregation are you from? What's your name? Now, you would think there are only going to be two types of people at any type of function. People who are adults and people who are minors. Minors, you would have thought they could have called the parents. Let the parents know. Parents, talk to your children. Oh, no. We're going to take care of this ourselves. This organization has this, we are keeping our eyes on you mindset all the time. You would have a sister who may be accused of seeing some worldly man. Elders were known to sit out in the bush, in the cut, as it were, watching throughout the night. This is the type of ridiculous stuff that this organization has done. But because of laws, that would be considered stalking now. So when you come from this mindset of such things as using words in your publication, such as probation, surveillance, this forms the basic mindset and people understand and people feel it. You often hear people give experiences of being a child whose parents were perhaps disfellowship, reinstated, and how forever their family was considered an outcast. Once again, we think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son was never viewed as an outcast once he came back. But within this organization, it is very common for families for decades to be left by the wayside. That love that they talk about, they're going to engulf you and wrap you in. People who come back, they rarely find that. And that's because the way this organization is structured, the way this organization, the culture of this organization is to literally keep an eye on you. There's always this level of distrust. And people will tell you that. Well, you know, they just got reinstated. You know, he's been, he was disfellowshipped about 12 years ago. Those are the type of cultural things. You won't see this in print. You're not going to see this in print. But the culture within congregations all around the world, this is how these people oftentimes feel when they come back. So the bottom line is the reason it takes people so long to get back many times is the human factor, the inconsistency that is experienced from congregation to congregation. In some cases, people in the same judicial case is dealt with differently. And why do people feel like a felon? Because the culture of Jehovah's Witnesses, sad to say, is one literally of suspicion. It's always assumed that you're doing something wrong and we're going to catch you and we're going to deal with you. That is why the Watchtower don't use those words such as surveillance today. It's not, quote unquote, politically correct. They've softened the terms. 
But the way in which they deal with people, that has not changed. You can ask anyone who's been this fellowship and who's gone through this process. They will tell you that this is alive and well. If you enjoyed the video, hit the like button, leave a comment, and be sure to share it with someone else. This has been JT. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.